You need on-the-go convenience. Novex Smart Hub delivers. Pay your electric bills, view your energy use, report an outage, and receive alerts regarding your account. With Smart Hub, use your credit card with no processing fees. Level out your monthly electric bills by enrolling in budget billing through Smart Hub. Easily access it through Novex mobile app or at Novex.com. You're on the go. Novex Smart Hub goes with you. Welcome back. I'm Troy Ballhofer, and you're on the bus at Country Thunder. We're coming at you with backstage stories from the six annual Country Thunder Music Festivals held across North America. Get ready for real talk about the state of the music industry with thoughts, insights, and stories from some of the biggest stars, executives, and professionals in the music business. On this episode, Parker McCullum. Parker, how are you? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you, man. It's been a couple of years. It has been a couple of years. Um, and uh, I was trying to tell somebody, I think I've played this Arizona one before. I believe so. I think probably in 19 or 19 or 20. Something like that. I, I remember when we were walking past the cow pins just now, I was like, I think I've been here. I, I believe you have. And uh, I think the last time you and I were able to hang out was in Iowa. A few, yeah. when we, the, mm-hmm. One of the first shows back out of the pandemic. In yes, 21. That was fantastic. Um, so let's talk about, you know, born and raised in Texas. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your upbringing. Tell me how it all started. And Man, it was it was pretty normal, I feel like, especially now when I look back on it, I'm pretty grateful that it was pretty normal. Um, just kind of look at it through a different lens nowadays, but I grew up in a town called Conroe, Texas. Uh, it's about 40 miles north of Houston. Um, my dad sold cars. My mom's family had a concrete company and uh, had been in that, you know, they'd been that town a hundred years and granddad was a judge long before I was ever around and, um, you know, just well known around the area and, and, um, you know, so it kind of made for a, for a cool upbringing in Conroe and, and, um, when I was a, I think it's seventh or eighth grade. My mom, uh, everybody in my family went to Conroe high school on my mom's side and my dad's side of the family. And then. About right before high school, my mom wanted me to go to a better high school, so she moved me about six miles down the road to the Woodlands, and I went to high school there. Um, and it's only six miles away. It was a different world. It was kind of a culture shock for me. Didn't know anybody. Didn't have any friends. And that's really when you know I started playing guitar and writing songs. And I kind of gave me something to do. And I was bored all the time. And I played football and baseball and basketball and everything. But um, it probably took me a good you know half a school year, full year to really fall in with the right kids and, and make some good friends there. But Looking back now, it was like, you know, one of the best things she ever did for me. And, you know, I spent every summer growing up uh, cowboying for my granddaddy. He had two big ranches, one's in East Texas and one's in uh, Central Texas outside of Waco. And um, I kind of split time between being a normal kid and going to school and playing ball and, you know, out of mom's watch, hanging out with granddad all summer, um, working hard or hardly working, probably both at the same time. Um, and it was great, man. My my childhood and, and high school years and everything were were awesome. So when you made the move to the to the high school, is that that's when you started playing guitar, or did you play? That's guitar when I really that? fell into it more. I'd right. kind of been dead. My older brother wrote songs and played guitar and and did his thing, and um, you know, he could have been ice skating, and I've right. probably been ice skating these days. I just wanted to do what older brother was doing, um, but it just so happened he played guitar and wrote songs, and um, I kind of was 
trying to do it a little bit, you know, when I was 11, 12, 13 years old and, and, uh, wrote a couple of little, you know, songs here or whatever, and could kind of sing a little bit, but, uh, it was when I moved, when, when my mom moved me to schools and I kind of, you know, had a lot of afternoons and really have any buddies there. Yeah. Right, and I right. kind of, I spent a lot of time just hanging out and that's really kind of when the guitar fell in and became kind of a serious thing. Wow. That's super cool. So, so being from Texas, obviously this whole format is basically, Texans, mm-hmm. I mean, and historically Texans in most cases. Um, who who was who was the Texan artist that inspired you more than anybody? Saying that's the path of that gentleman's career that I would like to follow. Oh, that's easy. I let me guess. George Strait. George Strait. All day, every day. God. Yeah, you know, it's uh, his career has been great, but you know the way he's carried himself in his personal life, you know, and kind of stays out of the spotlight and. Um, I, I pay attention to a lot of that stuff, and I have since I was a little kid, and try to always kind of emulate a lot of the w- things that he does and the ways he ways he carries himself. And you know, he's a family man, and um, he seems like a very laid back, quiet individual. Which a lot of times, you know, you get around big superstars, are not necessarily that way. I always respected that about him, and um, I don't know, man. He obviously his his catalog speaks for itself. I mean, hit after hit after hit is as many as anybody's ever had. So um, that's all that's all a plus too. But it's really you know, the way he's branded himself and carried himself and, and stayed the same person and, you know, the same old George for, you know, 50 years. It's pretty impressive. You know, it was, it was funny. I had my own George story in 19, I was a kid in 1988 and I, would, I own the festival now up in Saskatchewan. Um, it's the oldest, one of the oldest country music festivals in North America. It's called um, uh, Country Thunder Saskatchewan. But then it was called the Big Valley Jamboree. In 1980, George played there. It was torrential downpour. It was raining so hard that, I mean, it was the worst rainstorm they had seen. And, you know, it was one of those century rainstorms. And he played his whole set. And he got on his bus. And he opened the door. And all the water flew in. And he went in there. And the, the, the festival was ran by a priest and a nun. And he invited them over to have a drinks with him. And my last recollection was an old eagle. He had a, I had a blue eagle, and they were pulling it out with a big tractor to get the bus out because it was up to the axles. And, uh, you know, George Strait, when I took over and became the owner of, of the Country Thunder, we had George Strait in 2010. And uh, that was the first guy I ever paid a million dollars to. And and so I'm thinking, you know, exactly the king, right? He's the king. There's no doubt about it, no right? No question. Undisputed. And he... uh comes and asks our team is is it all right if we sleep over at the site tonight we're like uh yeah of course you know i mean it's george Strait, but so humbled and mm-hmm. so just what you said i mean parker you know, it's so cool that you, we kind of share that same um you know feeling towards george Strait, which is pretty damn cool but let's talk about playing violin in high school tell me all about that yeah no that man that was that was, long was that before. fiddle or was that violin it was violin uh it's like classical violin i was just in the orchestra when i was in in school and some kids, you know, before we were in the grades where you didn't have sports in school, you played sports out of school then. Uh, it was like fifth and sixth grade, I think. And um, I liked strings. I, I guess I kind of knew that. Um, probably a little foreshadowing for myself, but everybody went and got in the band. And I was just kind of that kid that always wanted to do something different. So I went and did the orchestra and yeah. and um, I was in it for two years. And I, and I played it well. I mean, I, I really did enjoy it. And, and uh, I can remember you know, really taking to it and, and actually putting time into practice it when I was home and stuff. But, uh, you know, once I got to seventh grade, I wasn't cool anymore. So, um, I picked up a football and, and started playing football a lot more. And then, uh, you know, once I was playing and at the new schools, I was, um, you know, started playing guitar and, and never even thought about fiddle again, but, or violin, but 
it's uh it's one of my favorite instruments i've never had one in my band just to try to differentiate myself a little bit and stand out um you know it's uh almost every country band in the world has a fiddle um and uh it's sometimes it all kind of runs together and, and people start to sound the same and that's one of my biggest fears is you know kind of getting away from my original sound so i've got some of it on there it's, it's trickled in there throughout the throughout my records here and there but um nothing permanent yet but it's uh it was it was kind of the start of of anything musical for me and you play the harp too i do a little bit i'm a i'm a shamelessly uh extremely a shamelessly average harmonica player <laughs> that's a great instrument yeah that's yeah, awesome it's super cool. so let's talk about you released your first two records on your own label. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's an amazing feat for a young gentleman. Oh, thank like, you. And how how did that come about? And where, where was your head at that time period in your life? Man, after I graduated high school, I, 10 days after I graduated, I moved to Austin. Um, I enrolled in a community college there just so my, my mom and dad would kind of think I was going there and doing something I was supposed to be doing. But I, I never even went to class or anything and, and uh, was really just trying to kind of bumming around town. You know, trying to play places like the Saxon Pub, or um, I wanted to play Pooty's Roadhouse out in Spicewood, and um, but I didn't know, you know, play the Broken Spoke. I didn't know how to get into any of those places. I wasn't even old enough to get into them, so um, I had a fake ID, and I'd go into them and and kind of sit around and watch bands like Walt Wilkins and Slade Cleves and a lot of these Texas guys that were playing there on weeknights. And um, you know, Ryan Bingham was one of my. It's still Ryan Bingham of the Dead Horse is one of my favorite bands of all time, and and really kind of was a turning point for me when I discovered him when I was early in high school. Um, but I was at the, the Saxon pub one night and uh, Corby Schaub, who who was an original dead horse with Ryan Bingham um, for like 10 years, um, was in there one night. He was playing some some side stuff with Walt Wilkins. And somehow or another, we, you know, we ended up smoking cigarettes on the back patio together. And then you know we ended up at somebody's house afterwards real late. And he was recording some songs. And he asked me to play a couple songs. And I'd just written – um, two brand new songs that were on that first record, and um, I played them, and he he started laughing. And then I know who this guy is right; he's a guitar player for one of my favorite bands of all time, and it's kind of a mentor. It kind of he had no idea who I was. We we'd never even met. You he's know, this out is the him. first time, yeah. and uh, he kind of started laughing after I played the songs. And he's like, "Man, I'd, I'd love to cut a record on you." And I didn't even know what it really meant to cut a record. Right. Um, I'd never been in a studio. I'd never sang really into a microphone hardly at all. Um. And but we did, and, and I didn't have any money to to make a record, so I went and took a loan out. Had my granddad co-sign on a loan for me from a bank in Conroe for like I think five grand, and I went and recorded four songs. Uh, it was about a thousand dollars a song, and a thousand dollars to use the studio for two days. And um, uh, we, and, you know, the plan was kind of to cut those first four songs, and then once I had some more money together, we'd go in and cut another four, and it'd be an album. Um, and it happened pretty quickly after those four songs and ended up cutting the first record and that's what the limestone kid was. And, um, that song meet you in the middle came out. Um, you know, that I won a songwriter competition in Stephenville, Texas called the Larry Joe Taylor songwriter competition. Somebody entered me in and, uh, went up there. I didn't, didn't even win the first round. Um, but they pick a wild card winner from every round to go on to the finals, ended up winning the whole thing. And big radio station, 95, nine, the ranch in Fort Worth started playing that song, meet you in the middle. And, See, I've been doing it ever since. Now I'm at Country Thunder is, in Arizona. The rest is the, the the path to success. And so in 19, you you signed your big deal, right, with the universe? I think so, 18 or 19, something like that. Uh, so how did that come about? And how did you feel about it when 
you know, all of a sudden now you're going to sign with a major label. Yeah, that was that was the goal all, all along for me. I knew, you know, I was really aware of, of kind of the Texas thing, the national thing, the rift there between the two when I was really young, back in the Pat McGreen and Corey Maul days. And, um, and I was always really aware of it, but I just never really – never really cared about it I, I knew i wanted to go play on the biggest of the big times and and sign a major record deal and and have massive budgets to cut records and tour buses and i wanted all of that and uh, i wanted gold records on my wall and um i i didn't know how to you know i had all those goals and i didn't even know how to say them out loud um and it was actually randy rogers from the randy rogers band i opened for him one time in corpus um about a year after that first record came out and uh that night he offered uh he took me on his tour bus i'd never been on a tour bus before he said man i I think you got it going on i think you could be a superstar he's like i'd like to help you get there and and and, uh kind of avoid some of the mistakes i made along the way and and i'd been a randy rogers super van since i was probably 11 or 12 years old and um it just you know was i thought i'd made it right then and there and and he was the one that you know after about six or eight months he was like man if you want to do what we talk about you doing you got to go to Nashville and you got to go get a, get a record deal. And uh, he, he took time out of his, he still tours year round, family man, wife and kids. And, um, would come up there on his weekdays between touring and going to these offices of these major record labels. And we got an offer from every major label in town. Um, on our first round going in, he went in and lied to every single one of them right in the face and said, you pass on this kid, you're passing on the next George Strait," And, uh, just lying straight to him i'm like dude you, you like that was like my first taste of the music business i'm like man this is somebody just selling it i, I right don't now. think he was lying about it i think and, he actually believed in you because yeah. you know i mean maybe I, maybe he did randy probably did he's got such a good heart and he's such a good dude but you know he, he knew what he was doing in there he had to sell these people and, and get them to think differently they have a million people walk in their office every day trying to get a record deal so he had he had to set something apart and uh bless his heart i'll let him down forever and i'll never live up to that but um yeah, he, he was he was really the one that that was like, man, you you got to go get a record deal, and and um, we walked into Universal MCA one day, and they got this big old poster of George in there, right on the wall. I mean, massive. You can't miss it. It's, right. it's fifteen feet tall, and I was like, this is where I want to be. So, like to our listeners and aspiring artists, you know, did you realize the feat that you just accomplished when you got that deal? Because as we know now. Did you know then how hard it was going to be to actually get that break and make no. that thing happen? Which is is a task in itself. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not to discourage any of our listeners who are aspiring artists, but you got to really put your head down. I mean, you got to be committed 110% and you got to go for it. And there's certain breaks that you get in that. And mm-hmm. You realize it after the fact. Yeah. And you, you got to kind of have your blinders on. I mean, you know, there's so much going against you. You're kind of going against the grain from the moment you pick up a guitar till. You get to any kind of, you know, reach any sort of milestone or, you know, um, accomplish any or receive any kind of accolade. It's, it's really going against the grain and, and, uh, you got to almost be arrogant in a way, mm-hmm. you know, for lack of a better term, just kind of ignoring, um, you know, all the naysayers. And there's, there's a million things telling you you can't do it, a million things that happen that make you feel like you can't do it. Um, but you know, when you're a young kid and you're naive and you're hungry and you're hustling, it's really hard. Nobody can tell you, no, you think you know it all. And, and, uh, you really don't even understand the the repercussions of not making it. You know, you're like, man, if I don't have a college degree, if I don't make it in country music, what the hell am I going to do? And never even crossed my mind. I just said, well, I'm going to make it. So I don't have a choice. You know, it's pretty funny because you, you think about that and, you know, you hear the stories of, you know, we went to every label and went turned down twice and. 
finally we got a deal, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, you hear that about so many artists, you know, and Taylor Swift's one of them. And, you know, Florida Georgia Line, we're one of those artists that went around town a few times and didn't get a, didn't get a deal, but kept at it and look at that. And here we are. But I got one, I got this question that's been bothering me all day that I yeah. need to ask you. So you wrote a song, Hell of a Year. Now, what shitty Whataburger was it that yeah. took you so long to get your burger to write a song? No, you you're know, sitting there in the drive-thru. What, Whataburger's notorious for it. That's, <laughs> that's how you know it's good because it takes so long it's to get fresh. through the drive-thru. Um, but, man, I was I was pretty hell-bent in my early and mid-20s, you know, on – you know, I, I my brother turned me on to Towns and, and Guy and Rodney Crowell and Steve Earle and from a really, really young age when I was in junior high. Yeah. And um, studied them a lot in high school and – you know, their whole mantra was you got to live the songs you write. Willie was the same way. Waylon was the same way. And uh, they had a lot of hardships and, and probably made a lot of bad decisions, had a lot of hard times. They wrote songs and, and I had a great childhood. I didn't really have any hardships to write about. So I kind of was hell bent on, you know, kind of crashing and burning a couple of times, <laughs> trying to go to a dark place to write songs and, and uh, you know, probably making some bad decisions. But there was a lot of fun uh certainly but probably some bad decisions in there and and uh but i was i was intentionally you know trying to go write songs like those guys and 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 be honest and authentic about it by you know living the songs that i was writing so um i was really kind of writing a, a lot of songs in that vein at the time and uh, i was in the drive through at whataburger about two o'clock in the morning one night's on uh william cannon in 35 right there in south austin and eating there a million times and a song off my first record all day it's called all day was it came on the radio station like two o'clock in the morning and it just jazzed me up i was like you know yeah. damn hell yeah that's the great greatest feeling um and i just kind of took out some paper on my center console and scribbled down the chorus and the first verse and or the chorus and first verse of hell of a year and i put it you know back in the center console and the next morning i woke up and i was humming the tune kind of like in my head i'm like man what melody is that i can't, I can't even remember writing the song the night before and uh and so I kind of sitting there singing it, and all of a sudden I started singing "Hell of a Year," and I'm like, "Wait a minute!" I went and got the paper out of my truck, and I was like, "That's God." We were about to cut that that record, and I was it's called "Probably Wrong" was the name of that album, and I was like, "Man, I, I very very rarely do I write songs. Probably only two or three times that I've I've known right away that I was going to cut it and probably sing it for a long time, and that was that was one of them. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, back back number one singles. Congratulations. Thank I mean. you. It's a big task, man. That's, it is. It's 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 uh, we're batting a thousand right now. So try to keep it going. And two times platinum. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Yes, it's it's quite. You know, I mentioned that earlier. I, I remember watching MTV Cribs when I was a kid, and uh, you know, all these big superstars would have gold and platinum records on their walls whenever they tore their houses. And uh, I thought about it for a long time, and I remember I didn't know that any of my songs were even close to. I didn't even know how that went or who told you that it had you got a plaque, who decided if you got a plaque. I had no idea. And uh, Pretty Heart was the first one that went and uh, it went gold. Um, and I got a, actually got a duplicate made of the plaque and gave it to my dad on his 60th birthday. It was pretty cool. He's awesome. been one of my biggest supporters and, and would not be where I am without him. Um, so that was pretty cool. But then it went platinum and got a plaque for that. And then it went double platinum. And then, you know, now I got four or five of them that have gone gold and platinum and uh, Lee Miller is a good buddy of mine. He's a great songwriter in Nashville. And um, I remember I'd gotten that that first gold one for Pretty Heart. I was so excited about it. I was telling him about it, and he just could have cared less. He looked at me and said, I don't judge a songwriter by how many plaques he's got on the wall. I, bl- I judge a songwriter by how many plaques he's got on the ground. Wow. 
And I was wow. like, damn, that's heavy. So I never, I, I took about two years before I hung any of them yeah. up. I just left them on the ground. <laughs> I never, I had plenty of wall space. I didn't have that many. Uh, but now, and I still, and luckily now I, it's funny that I'm telling that story because I still think about it often. And, uh, my wall at home is actually full. I've got, I've got about five or six on the ground now. So it's uh, that's, cool. that's, 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 that's such a great story. Um, but dating back to like when you were in your, you know, formation of, of where you were going and yeah. charting out your career, you know, there's always been that stigma, you know, Texas artists versus Nashville artists. Did you ever have the thought of like, man, I need to stay in Texas to be a Texas artist or I want to be a, I want to go to Nashville and I want to be an international star, which you, which you've accomplished already today. Yeah. You know Did what? You any of that? It was certainly on my mind. I remember I was probably, you know, in fifth or sixth grade when Pat, junior high, maybe when Pat kind of went through all of that and they gave him such a hard time about it. But I just, I never, I never cared. Um, I just remembered, you know, and, and I was, I was really lucky. You know, I always fail to mention that I was selling a lot of tickets and, and I was on my own tour bus and I'd put out two of my own albums and, you know, I had my own band on salary before I ever even went to Nashville to get a record deal. Mm-hmm. So the ball was really in my court. And I had a, um, you know, basically it was just saying, if you guys want a piece of the pie, you know, I, my number one thing was I want a creative control. I was like, I want to be able to write the songs I want to write, yeah. cut the songs I want to cut, you know, it, what I want to how, do it, how I want to do it. And then credit to Universal, they've kept their word 100%. Because the day I shook their hand and they told me that's how it was going to be, and I signed that paperwork, I'm like, you know, I really hope that this is not going to be some nightmare record deal story. And uh, I, they, they deserve so much credit because they have kept their word a thousand percent. And um, they'll, they'll make suggestions every now and then, you know, be like, hey, listen to this or check this out. And But never one time have, have they, you know, been combative towards me saying no to something or not wanting to do something. And and I think that's the the ultimate dream, probably in, in any business in the world, right, is is to be uh, in control of your own destiny and, and have your career in your own hands. And um, I know a lot of artists aren't that fortunate. Uh, I got friends, they tell me stories all the time. You know, they, their record labels have a lot of control over their career. And, and uh, but I was so aware of it, you know, from such a young age that the Texas thing never bothered me. I, I just said, man, no one, I didn't even announce that I'd signed a record deal. Right. I just signed it and then went and cut a record on a major record deal. The songwriting stayed the same. The process stayed the same. Um, and uh and i, I said man I don't, I don't think that if the music doesn't change not not a whole lot of heads are going to rear right. over that so just to to go back a little bit you know just to explain to our listeners like in texas you can have a band in texas and if you have success in texas you don't have to leave texas because mm-hmm. you can make a great living just playing in texas and that's what my question was more uh directed in and you answered it perfectly and that's that's a really neat thing because there was a time when it was like a, a stigma if you left texas oh, to yeah. come to nashville and it still kind of is people <clears throat> i see stuff about it online sometimes but you know cody really paid cody johnson really paved the way helped pave the way for it a lot you know um he signed a deal not long before yeah. i did and uh, same kind of thing, man. His songs are yeah. so great. He's unbelievably talented. Um, he wasn't going to go up there and start cutting beer songs and dirt road songs and pickup truck songs. You know, he was going to go up there and sing real country music. And and Nashville needed that. Yeah. And uh, luckily now they're embracing it a lot more. Um, and I think he really probably is is um, you know deserves a lot of credit for that being that way. I mean, I, th- that's a whole different vein. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know if you agree with this, but uh, I'm going to pose that question. Like, it seems like country music is splintered in a bunch of different places right now. And yeah, it's all over the place. All over the place. And it's kind of interesting because when you have a, you know, when you're doing festivals, where do you go and oh. what, are, what are we doing, right? So, but there's so much good new stuff out there right now that is so exciting. 
and great artist. So writing songs. So do you write with other writers? Are you uh, writer I do writer? a lot now. Uh, my first two records I wrote primarily on my own. Yeah. Um, but Randy, again, Ro- Randy Rogers was, you know, before we got a record deal, he, he got me a publishing deal with Warner Chapel, which they're the biggest yeah. and the baddest. And, um, been ben a great, Vaughn. been a great home for me. Yeah. Ben Vaughn, you know, took a chance on me and, um, and really, um, uh, believed in me early on. He's one of the first people in Nashville to kind of hear my stuff and, and want to be a part of it. And it was, re- kind of had to go through the trenches. Um, I started in the absolute, bottom of the barrel writing songs um really with just lunch pail writers guys who just they didn't care about writing yep. real songs they just wanted hits to write a hit to write a hit and yeah. never been my thing i've never ever one time sat down to write a song and thought about writing a hit um and uh but i i did and i embraced it and, and i hustled that as well just like i did the road yeah. and uh, i went hard at it um and I, I didn't like it i really still don't love it um but it has made me a better songwriter it's made me a lot more productive songwriter um, you know, and all three of my number ones were me and someone else yep. writing a song or a hook or a melody I'd had in my head that I just said three number ones. It doesn't go number one for about another week. Please don't <laughs> let me jinx it. Um, but I think it's going to. It's going to go number uh, one, absolutely. But it's uh, but they, they all are that way. They're just me and a buddy of mine sitting down writing a song. So co-writing has been good to me. Um, but you know, I was uh, my producer John Randall was out on the road with us for uh, the first two shows this weekend, and um, after the first or after the second night last night, came on the bus and he said I told him I wanted to go do a six song acoustic record, just me, and my guitar and harmonica jimmy buffett studio down in key west sometime this year next year and um just raw stripped down i've never done anything like it and uh and he came off the or he, he sat in front of house and watched the the, the show and, and came came to the bus afterwards and he said man the songs that they scream every single word to more than than any other ones are all the songs you wrote by yourself he's like you need to write that acoustic record by yourself record it by yourself he's like that's just he's like that's what you do best so I'm I'm lucky that that both ways of of going about writing songs have been really good to me. That's great, and I got to congratulate you. I heard you got married last year. I and, did. Uh, yes, that's fantastic. I've been married for a year now. I know it all. <laughs> that's awesome. So, uh, do you do you ski? Uh, snowboard. A snowboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's well, snowboarding in Switzerland in January? I, I heard a rumor that you were spotted in Jackson Hole. Uh, I was, I did not snowboard. I've got this, this deal going on my knee. I did not snowboard that time, but I did ride snowmobiles. We went 90 miles, um, through the mountain pass on snowmobiles for about eight hours one day. That's awesome. I think he ran into my daughter at a bar. Yeah. I saw her at the, uh, um, your son looks just like, they look just like, yeah. Okay. They, I was, when I saw him, I'm like, golly, if he told me he was her, I might believe him. Um, <laughs> Yeah, at the uh, Million Dollar Cowboy Bar. Yeah, yeah, she told me, she was, man, it's cool, you know. Yeah. Everyone has a lot of respect for what you've done. I mean, the songwriting, your commitment to what you're doing, your career, your family and life, I congratulate you on Thank all you. that. And it's been a real pleasure to have you. It's a busy day for you. I know that you have radio stuff to do, and thanks for taking this time out. Listeners, any market you see Parker McClellan playing, please go out and check them out. He's going to be at Country Thunder in Wisconsin and up in Canada at the Big Valley Jamboree. Please check him out. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait till tonight to see your show. Oh, yeah. We're going I'm to excited. come out swinging. I'm excited, man. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Thanks, Appreciate Parker. You, bro. Thank you to our guests on this episode. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review whenever you listen. Until next time, I'm Troy Bolhoffer, and you're on the bus of Country Thunder. Just won't stop